Welcome, my dystopians. I'm Raul Guerrero, and you are listening to the Dystopian Republic. Today's story begins on the early morning of November 22nd, 2008. At the Navarro Mansion, Bliss, Andrina, Marti, and Rocio were sleeping like big, heavy logs. Despite it being nine minutes after five, their sleeps were all closing in on the eight-hour mark, having called it a day soon after returning from Agnes Beach. When 5.10 came around, the speakers in their respective rooms awakened the girls with a soothingly sweet tune that took the listener on a ride through a wonderful world. Andrina finally did her mascara in a green tie-back dress and gray gladiator heels. Marti applied thick red lipstick while in her white ruffled dress and black stilettos. Rocio was wearing a blue skater dress and orange heels when she combed her hair. Bliss smiled at how good her red lace dress and summer heels made her look in the mirror. The song faded out as the girls packed their luggage and themselves into the SUV and sped away. Even though Meseta del Cielo was a land of forests and pasture, there was a single valley within its borders, home to the small city of Ciel Cardine. A lush park was located at the southeast end of town, and the church Bliss and her friends were headed for was half a mile from its northeast edge. Sielkardine's House of God had stone, fabric, and metal fresh out of the promised land, a soaring symbol of the city's return to the light after decades of darkness. Andrina parked her SUV, found that there was time to spare, and saw that Fern, Ricky, and Belgrave were in the crowd of invitees and guests. Bliss was excited to add more loving people to her life, but her friends had very different feelings in their veins and behind their affable faces. Four door slams got Fern, Ricky, and Belgrave to look back and be surprised to see Andrina, Marti, and Rocio again at last. What followed was an outburst that contained exhilarating OMGs, overexcited running, blaring hellos, passionate hugs, and sensual kisses. It wrapped up with fumes of disbelief and rejoicing over the gang being all here once again. The girls were so focused on each other that they forgot the potential seventh member in front of them. Bliss purely introduced herself to Fern, Ricky, and Belgrave as Andrina, Marti, and Rocio's new friend. She took her dress and spun it with the breeze, held and stretched it out as she bent her knees, lowered her head, and innocently looked up at them. Fern was charmed by her eloquent twirl. Ricky found it more adorable than anything, and Belgrave could tell right away that she was of privileged birth. Very quickly, an invitee loudly cleared her throat and slammed her dance radio on one of the stairs leading up to the church. She thought it was in everyone's best interest 
to listen as some serious stuff was going down, having Bliss and Drina, Marti, and Rocio at a loss. Roddy Zorro broke news that Alejio and Lissandra's conditions have deteriorated to the point where they're now on life support. Doctors stated that the couple was unlikely to survive and would likely be severely disabled even if they make it somehow. Bliss smiled in her head and Drina sighed gladly. Marti's nerves relaxed and Rocio puckered a joyful grin. Belgrave called Alejio and Lissandra's deaths a good riddance, hoping that the devil will finally subject them to the suffering they deserve. Ricky agreed and wished for Robbie IV to have his big mouth and ego crushed as his life is being bludgeoned away. Fern pleaded with her and Belgrave to stop wishing ill as the three of them were at the church. Ricky asked her if she forgot what Robbie did to them at his birthday party last year. Fern remembered that day like it was yesterday, calling for God to have mercy on his soul. She didn't hate Robbie any less than Ricky or Belgrave did, but felt that karma will lead him to his justly fate as she does with every other person that has ever lived. Her mini-sermon passed Bliss's smile and Drina's relief. Marti's relaxation and Rocio's grin into oblivion. But then, coverage of Alejo and Lissandra's fight for survival was interrupted by breaking news out of Hamilton. This hit Bliss, Andrina, Marti, and Rocio like an alarm that can't sound, even though its emergency door has been pushed open. Police have discovered the bodies of three teenage girls in the thicket of a park outside of town. This made Andrina, Marti, and Rocio remember the moment they killed Mia, Sonia, and Nova execution style. It then had Bliss recall her subsequent laugh when she shot Kalista and Amelia, slit Lucia's neck, and the high that consumed her thereafter. Andrina forced her ego to be too hot for a hand to be near to keep it from quivering and shivering. Interestingly, it also took Andrina back to when she called Sonia Sophia by mistake. It was a Freudian slip neither Bliss, Marti, nor Rocio anticipated or even thought of pointing out. But for Andrina, Sonia reminded her of a Sophia she met, knew, despised and dealt with. While it was too early for 40s to explain how Mia, Sonia, and Nova died, they were almost certain that foul play had a role in their deaths. Roddy Zorro reiterated that Chase, Rian, and Carol have been reported missing since last night and could now confirm the disappearances of Lucia, Kalista, Amelia, and Bakar. The crowd erupted into a storm of aghast gales and heart-aching downpours so strong and heavy that no one person's reaction was distinguishable from the next. It was convenient for Bliss, whose hands were over her mouth and nose like a face mask, hyperventilating shallower than a larynx that could hardly produce sound. Rocio worriedly grabbed 
her forehead and cheekbones, doing a great job of staying calm beyond her initial gasp. Marty used the storm's loudness to widen her teary pinkened eyes, shaking her head as her peak grew grim and wrinkled her face up. No one in the crowd cared to take note of how Edmundo Jr. and Flavia did not show up with Ambrosine at 9 o'clock a.m. as scheduled. They had to wait until noon to learn that the Jaramillos and Oteros have decided to postpone the baptism and party, telling invitees and guests to go home. At this stage, not a single person in the crowd gave an S about celebrating a rite and would rather be at the sides of one or both families, comforting them through a grave misfortune. Strongly considering getting the hell off the grid, Bliss, Andrina, Marti, and Rocio brisked for their SUV. Steps shy of piling inside, they were flagged down by Fern, peeving Andrina into asking her what she could possibly want in a time like this. Rocio elaborated that she needed to be with her brother, sister-in-law, and niece as soon as possible. Ricky asked if Fern, Belgrave, and Hearst truly may join her, Andrina, Martine Bliss, and ask met with a take aback and repressing of stress. In the gated community where East Hamilton's elites resided, there was a concrete barbed wire boundary that cut off one suburban home from all the others. The separation was such that the leopard home could only be accessed by a bumpy dirt road that led into town from the northeast. With Ricky and Belgrave in tow, Fern smoothly stopped a car length behind Andrina, who was still driving Bliss, Marti, and Rocio. Armed with assault rifles, the guards patrolling the gate asked the Black G for four valid IDs. Rocio presented her driver's license and called Bliss, Andrina, and Marti her guests. The lead guard allowed them to pass through, then asked the occupants in the dark green GS for identification. This was when Fern presented her license and those belonging to Ricky and Belgrave, making it plain to guards that they were friends with the Oteros. Both groups of girls urgently parked, jointly approached the front door and could hear the ongoing consoling. Rocio was pleased to see Edmundo Jr. and Flavia, Solis, Bacar's mother, Bacarne, and father, Rigoberto. On sight, her brother sat up and hugged her, Andrina, and Marti, while his wife did the same to Fern, Ricky, and Belgrave. Edmundo Jr. then saw that Bliss was also present, enticing her into jumping onto his open arms. Their hug made him look much taller than her, even though their heights weren't that far apart. Just now realizing the time of the year, Flavia asked Bliss if she was supposed to be at Amicidia Lake. She replied that she chose not to go, saying that it's within her right to do so as the trip 
was a reward she didn't have to accept. Bliss stopped Flavia from asking her about Eldon Jr. by explaining how her brother was sleeping over with friends for the weekend, telling her to rest assured that she'll resume her babysitting duties on Monday. Out of nowhere, Edmundo Sr. and Juliana politely rushed in and said that they effed off from Delgadopolis as soon as they got the terrible news. Rocio used her chance to embrace her mom and dad, who in turn did the same to their son and Bacarne. Flavia politely yet coldly said hello while Rigoberto waved high with a resentful smirk. Edmundo Jr. told Bacar's parents that he could feel their pain and wished for God to help them find peace regardless of what their son's fate ends up being. Rigoberto offendedly nodded at and scorned him for making Bacar's disappearance out to be no bigger of a deal than a stubbed toe after an afternoon at the playground. Edmundo Jr. angrily stomped to his feet, clutched him by the chest, forced him up, and dared him to say what he said again. The surprise that took Fern, Ricky, and Belgrave by wasn't as intense as the shock Flavia was in, but for Bliss, Andrina, Marti, and Rocio, Edmundo Jr.'s lost temper made them cringe, having experienced it before. He ignored Bacarne's demand to let Rigoberto go and instead responded with a silent snarl darker than the dead of night. Edmundo Sr. ordered Edmundo Jr. to unhand his mother's brother at once or else. When that didn't work, Juliana begged her dear, virtuous, and beautiful son to do what his father said. Edmundo Jr. came to his senses and let Rigoberto go, and Bacarne told her husband to sit down and stay seated. Juliana asked Rigoberto if he could think of how Bacar could possibly vanish or anyone who'd want to hurt him. Her brother didn't hesitate to say that he wouldn't be surprised if Lucia, Calista, and Amelia were in on the disappearances at the very least. Rocio asked Rigoberto what made him believe that those girls could be involved, making him surprised that she'd ask that given the history she, Andrina, and Marti had with them. Asked by Andrina how he knew about the rivalry, he explained that it was the talk of the town and a microcosm of its wider civil toxicity. Rigoberto wouldn't put it past Lucia, Calista, or Amelia to hurt Bacar as their vile reputation preceded them, especially after the stuff that transpired in West Shetland. From nowhere, Ambrosine let out a scream that sounded like she was being murdered or her organs were failing. Edmundo Jr. led the rush to his cousin's former bedroom where his daughter had fallen to a painful grief over her best friend being taken away from her. Ambrosine whimpered 
that what should have been one of her best days ever was turning out to be her worst. His feelings and history with Edmundo Jr. aside, the love Rigoberto had for his great niece was immense and nothing smaller. The grief in Ambrosine took a step closer to being bearable when her mom and dad enfolded her in their arms. Seeing how much Edmundo Jr. and Flavia cared about their daughter, Bliss grew jealous as she couldn't remember the last time she felt affection from Eldon Sr. or Trinity. It was an envy Andrina had herself and Marti was numb to, but one Rocio couldn't understand. Flavia requested that she, Edmundo Jr., and Ambrosine have some time with each other and no one else. Bacarne told the three of them to take all the time they need, proposing that everyone else join her in leaving them be. Shutting the door and leading the walk away, Rigoberto could feel a nervousness emit from Bliss, Andrina, Marti, and Rocio. His many prior run-ins with that shakiness alarmed him into excusing himself to the bathroom upon entering the entertainment room. Doing his business, Rigoberto texted his guards that they were to do a thorough search of Andrina's SUV. The entertainment room was upstairs and at the back right corner of the home, meaning that she, Bliss, Marti, and Rocio could not see or hear what was being carried out. One guard had a special detector that scanned on the exterior and tires, resulting in said device flashing and beeping up a storm at the G as if it was an intruder. The telltale sign that human blood and flesh had been detected. In seconds, every window of the SUV was shot and axed to crushed chips setting off an alarm only Andrina's key fob could stop. The guards were looking at a window that was three minutes tops, pushing them to rush their search inside. Finding a large but thin bloodstain behind the back seat, the smaller droplets all over the SUV's wider interior only furthered the fact that Rigoberto's suspicion had been confirmed. If that wasn't enough, the guards unearthed a frilly lock journal in the cargo space under the trunk. Three metal ovoids propelled through a window, flew into the air like golf balls, and hit the front yard harder than cruise missiles. The front yard was reduced to a crater of smoke, fire, rubble, and wreckage, killing nearly all of the guards and maiming the lucky few who survived. That explosion overshadowed another one that blew away the second quadrant of the home and made the one below it implode. For Bliss, Andrina, Marti, and Rocio, speaking and moving became impossible, beating their hearts more rapidly than chuffing helicopter rotors. All around, the aftermath put on full display how low Dave stooped to, to avoid accountability for their spree. Fern, Ricky, Belgrave, Rigoberto, Bacarne, Edmundo Sr., Juliana, Edmundo Jr., 
Flavia and Ambrosine weren't moving in what was the home's quadrant three. The elites that cut the Oteros off cared so little about them that they treated the explosions like houseflies buzzing past their ears. Their callousness went on long enough for Bliss and Drina, Marti and Rocio to regain their speech and movement. Rushing downstairs and out of the home, the girls beheld the crater like it was a maze that couldn't be conquered. Bliss remembered the maze from Bromelia Party that everyone thought would never be figured out. Even the smartest young minds found themselves looking around, stuck and confused as time ran out. This was why, when Bliss figured the maze out with Eldon Jr. never far behind, not many in society, and even fewer on Pricep, could believe it. Having this in mind, she stepped ahead and led Andrina, Marti, and Rocio through the crater. A surviving guard woke up and saw the girls make their escape into the forest, angering her into sitting up and giving a speedy, crawling chase. Bliss and her friends sprinted through bumpy woods for two and a half miles, dropping and rolling onto the side of a provincial road northeast of East Hambleton. Three Robbie the Fourth fanatics with growing beer bellies were riding in their silver sports car when they spotted the girls. Their hot rod stickered and flagged how proud they were to be students of the University of the Northwest Coast. The men felt their penises fill with blood when Bliss and her friends gave them upward thumbs. They pulled over on the belief that the girls were asking to be picked up and for a party and bed. Opening the doors and stepping on out, the men were ardent about making their oldest fantasies come true. Andrina was their queen bee whose vanity and beauty they wanted to bang and wrestle into a sweaty mess. Marti was the men's ideal goth girl to scream at, slap, and spit on, manhandle, and make a crying child out of. Rocio was their sporty gal to outperform athletically, have their way with on the court or field using bats and balls and beat on like a heavy punching bag. But Bliss was the one whom the men were most eager to taste, feel, and inflict. Her blonde hair, baby blue eyes, angelic face, and clean limbed body formed a purity they sought to break open. The men's fantasies melted to water the second they saw the muzzles of four Uzis pointing at them. Andrina threatened to have her friends gun them down like the portly lechers they were if they didn't follow her orders to the letter. Smiling and licking her lips, she had the men step away from their car and strip to their boxers or briefs, exposing their fast softening and shrinking erections. Andrina ordered them to get naked, sit their butts on the curb, throw their keys to her, and not move a muscle if they valued their lives. 
It wasn't necessary for her to threaten the men with death if they told anyone about what was done to them, and Trina believed that the humiliation brought upon them would incentivize them into not telling. She got her friends to pile into the car with her, screeching its tires, pushing smoke out of its exhaust and over-revving its engine by pressing on the gas. The men's jaws hit the curb when the guard who was after the girls crawled toward them in need of their help. To say that Bliss and her friends were wrought up wouldn't begin to describe the number of digits their fears were up to prior to the news headlines they truly felt that their hunt for bullies to fatally brutalize could forever go on under society's radar. After blowing apart the Otero home, however, the girls didn't have the choice of going into hiding as it was now an action that had to be taken. This realization shot the potency of their stress well above the Earth's atmosphere. It grabbed the girls' abilities to think before acting by the throat and started to squeeze its life away. Tuning into Gyorod, they learned that news of explosions occurring at a home in East Hambleton just came in, raising their stress to an even greater height. Not wanting to sit and listen to any more, Marty fiddled with the radio until its pointer was firmly set to Roddy Zorro. That station could now confirm the description and license plate of the suspect vehicle in the Alejo Lisandra attempted murders, horrifying Andrina as much as it had an on-the-clock Andrino Sr. ask if his radio was effing kidding him. Rocio urgently switched to Tel Neutral Radio as their anchor stated that an elderly jogger reported seeing an SUV speed away from the park a couple days before being the one who found Mia, Sonia, and Nova's bodies. The description and plate that man gave to police devastated Bliss and her friends but shot Andrino's anxiety through the roof. Marty shut the radio off and screamed at Andrina to step the F on it, panicking Rocio into repeating that loud command. Andrina put the pedal through the metal and pinned it between the floor and her foot, driving as though she was evacuating through a wildfire. The longer the drive grew, the more slapdash her swerves, floors, and brakes became. It came to a head when Andrina drove her friends onto a winding two-lane road that was obscured in part by mountainous forest and the other way around. Rocio yelled at Andrina to watch it when she fishtailed into, around, and out of a hairpin turn. Bliss wasn't such a fret over the disastrous accident in the making that she couldn't turn that worry into pleas to slow and calm down. Rocio demanded that Andrina chill the hell out, equating her driving to that 
of a major psychotic episode. Something ahead jolted Bliss with its likely doom, scaring Marty into reaching for the emergency brake. Andrina gripped her friend's wrist before she could push in and pull up the lever, making her let go of the wheel to scrimmage for control of it. Bliss and Rocio were powerless to stop the car from screaming off in Estern and many floors down the land below. The girls crashed head-on into a tree that was wider than their vehicle, deploying the airbags and putting it out of commission for the last time. Birds and leaves went on with their chirping and rustling, ignoring Bliss and her friends' staggers out of the car and slumps against the ground. Hopelessness brought upon the girls a paralyzing distress that wheezed up their breathing. The forest looked down at them like skyscrapers, watching residents walk the city streets, taking their stress to an extreme that weakened and dizzied them into an unquestionable faint. An hour progressed the lively midday light to a dull afternoon one, leaving the crash site untouched and the girls where they swooned. Rocio was the first to wake up, followed by Andrina and Marty with Bliss bringing up the rear. Much of the stress that put the girls out cold remained, but was certainly below the point of making them faint again. They knew it was inevitable that their spree would no longer be their darkest secret. Once pretty to look at, the girls now saw themselves as highly distinct with mobilities limited to gracefully stiff walks and uncomfortable stomping jogs. They hurdled their heels, dresses, and makeup off their bodies until only their bras and panties were left. Everything the girls took off reminded them of how much their lives have changed since banding together. Days earlier, Bliss was your everyday 8th grader, while Andrina, Marti, and Rocio were little more than just three more high school seniors. This was how society viewed them, not knowing their innermost thoughts or most private actions. The temperature's gradual drop to the low 50s was parallel to the afternoon's uniform dim from glaring brightness to shaded dullness. Given that dusk wasn't for another four hours, Bliss and her friends found it highly alarming that the shivers had already come. This meant that temperatures were likely to fall to the upper or even mid-30s as wind chills were forecasted to drift at or a degree below freezing. The girls envisaged their insides succumbing to hypothermia should they not find adequate warmth by and by. They discovered that the crash pushed back a wave that broke, dented, and crunched the car's trunk open as if it was a briefcase. Packing the boot to the brim, clothes stared up 
at the girls more obligingly than a nutritious meal served on a silver platter. Andrina put on a teal performance tea, gray soft shells and walkers that sharply mixed the two hues. Marty comprised her attire of black cargoes, white hikers, and a flannel shirt with a pattern involving both colors. Rocio picked out an orange gingham, blue trails, and trekking pants that made said hues coexist. Bliss decided to wear a white merino, red trekkers, and a pair of trails that swirled the colors like a peppermint button. A warmth with the toastiness of a sit by the fireplace cuddled simpers out of the girls. For Bliss and her friends, it was an almost euphoric feeling that came at long last, but it went up against their undesires to leave the only society they ever got to know. Aside from how badly Bromelia had been to them, it was the nation that gave them life, their identities, and made their enmity possible. Seeing that the trunk wasn't empty, the girls gave it another peek, finding a video recorder, an external monitor, and sprinkles of SD cards. Bliss was unsure of what to make of the find other than that the men she and her friends robbed sure loved the film. Andrina plugged the monitor into the camera and asked Rocio to pick any card. Marty longed to watch the men be all they could be so that she could go to sleep believing that they reaped a little bit of what they sowed. Rocio took the card on the upper right corner where her sinuses encountered the odor of someone who hadn't showered in a week. She accepted the smell and handed the device for Andrina to slip into the camera as the recorder and screen turned on and was set to play. The curious cat in bliss was in want of seeing what it searched for. In all its explicitness, Andrina washed down her dread with one hard gulp of saliva while Rocio forced herself to maintain a fearless face as the footage began playing. But what they and the other two saw next would be unutterable. Very early the next day, police conducted a search warrant of the Navarro mansion that Andrino expected but was no less dismayed by. Authorities uncovered footage of everything Bliss and or her friends did and said since the house was secretly securitized after droves of far-left vigilantes threatened to burglarize it on Pricep. Bliss was caught wearing Chase's shoes and hat, Rian's shirt and Carol's pants. The cameras recorded her friends admitting that the clothes belonged to the Orda kids and that they were the three who murdered them. They captured Andrina and Marty laundering Bliss's white clothes, singing about Lucia, Calista, and Amelia's 
blood washing away. Police learned from Andrino that his sports sedan and SUV were bugged and had dashcam systems that could look ahead and behind. Their jaws dropped when they watched Bliss, Andrina, Marti, and Rocio admit to killing Mia, Sonia, Nova, Lucia, Calista, Amelia, shooting Alejio and Lisandra, and that Bacar had been murdered in Dirt Pit Valley by East Hamilton's richest and vilest girls. Later that morning, police raided the Rubio mansion, intending to find more evidence that could be useful for their investigation. They found a dock on the home computer where Bliss wrote a manifesto-ish letter to Romulo that was last saved on November 9th at 12.38 a.m. After the search was finished, Hambleton authorities were contacted by their colleagues in East Hambleton about the SUV they were looking for. Although the vehicle in question was mangled in the explosions, the bug and dashcam that were in it sustained only cosmetic damage. This handed authorities proof that Bliss and her friends were at the home when it was blown up and the only three unaccounted for when police, fire, and medical arrived. As for Fern, Ricky, Belgrave, Rigoberto, Bacarne, Edmundo Sr., Juliana, Edmundo Jr., Flavia, and Ambrosine, they were recovering at the hospital, and the guards who survived had their conditions improve from critical or serious to fair or good. All the lives lost in the explosions put them in a mourning that stung of shock and betrayal. On her hospital bed, the now paraplegic guard who crawled to the men notified police that Bliss and her friends blew up the Otero home and subsequently robbed said males. Come the dawn of November 25th, cameras, recorders, and microphones swarmed the podium of the press conference room of the Bromelian Security Service. Its director announced that Bliss, Andrina, Marti, and Rocio were now on BS2's most wanted list for aggravated murder, attempted murder, detonating a weapon of mass destruction, mutilation, reckless endangerment, armed robbery, and grand theft auto. A speechless trinity watched helplessly as Bliss's photo was side by side with three people whom she was sure her daughter wouldn't ever associate with. Eldon Sr. clenched his hair like he was going to rip it off his scalp, turning a hot red at the director, telling viewers that the girls were wanted dead or alive. As for the ten who were blasted unconscious by the explosions, their veins fell under the spell of astoundedness, appall, revulsion, outrage, and or detestation. 
this carried over to Amicidia Lake as Hambleton Middle School was days into its week of camp. Vance Jr., Glenda, Carrie, Claude, Kelvin, Allen, everyone who is a teacher or student got the news. Fenced by redwood barks, branches, and brush, a lonely little cabin was on the far end of a patch of bare ground. Despite not having running water, electricity, or plumbing, it was in great order, squeaked with cleanliness, and had all the necessities and some luxuries. Bliss and her friends had gotten out of their beds and just stepped out to feel and breathe the morning air when they learned that they were fugitives. But strangely enough, they weren't devastated, hysterical, or livid over knowing that BS2 was now on their tail. Bliss didn't care what Bromelian society thought of her and told its people to F off and die without exception. Andrina's worst fears about the nation's elites came true in ways and manners even she thought were over-the-top or far-fetched. Marty expected the elites of Bromelia to be a cabal of bastards, but wasn't expecting the depth of their depravity and disgracefulness to go where they ended up going. But Rocio didn't take away anything she didn't already know about the nation's most powerful and influential. Hours and hours of watching the men's videos and snapshots brought the girls to their beliefs. Also, Rocio was rather bewildered and a tad affronted that Andrina and Marti would express shock over how Bromelia's elites behave privately and was really displeased with Bliss for acting like her innocence had been broken. In the presidential chateau, Romolo was a half hour into his tea time when he finished reading the letter Bliss sent to him. It hit so close to home for him that he could have sworn that it was about his relationship with Alexis Jr. and Hiomata. Romolo called Blackburn Sr. to tell him that the time had come for their sides to unite for the greater good. No matter where the girls were emotionally, their utmost priorities were each other, their exit from society, and making sure no one unwanted ever finds them. All they had to do was stay alive, united, isolated, and on the lamb. Tasks that were easier to say than do, and as fate would have it, the girls' pasts would have heavy sway over their present, which would in turn affect how their futures play out. And that was running scared. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to the story I just gave. Share this show 
with everyone you know. Make sure they share it with everyone they know. Check out my website at www.rss.com slash podcasts slash the dystopian republic. Send me your respectful questions and constructive feedback at Raul Guerrero Jr. 95 at gmail.com. And lastly, support the show via my PayPal at paypal.com slash paypal me slash Raul Guerrero Jr. On that note, I'm Raul Guerrero and come again for another gripping, thoughtful, and sinister episode of the Dystopian Republic.